This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. Welcome from the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, Pastor Mark Driscoll. Well, feel free to take your seat. Love you guys very much. And I wanted to do two things, and then I'm going to pray and uh, we'll close our time together. Number one, uh, I want to encourage you. um, One of the most important things that Pastor John and I, I'm sure would agree on, is the more time that you get in God's word, the better your soul and everything in your life will be, amen? That this is God's word, this is the only perfect thing on the earth, this is the book that God wrote, and God custom applies this to the hearts and souls of men to do surgery to change us at the deepest level of our being. So uh, one of our hosts for this event is Logos Bible Software with Faith Life. I would encourage you to stop by their booth on the way out. Uh, You're gonna find a guy there with a big beard. Uh, His name's Scott, he's been a friend of mine for a very long time. We love him very much and their software will help you learn God's word. If you were to go out and buy a huge library, it would cost you many, many, many times more than what they're gonna provide for you. And uh, I wanted to take this moment as well before I have the honor of giving the closing message. And I wanted to first uh, thank all those from James River who are serving. How crazy is it that this event is pulled off by a church? That's amazing, that's amazing, that's amazing. How many of you are pastors, right? And if you brought live bulls to your church, it would not end well, amen? That team really executed well. It was pretty fantastic and amazing. And this really comes from the heart of the Lindell family, who I love with all of my heart. Uh, Some of you are part of James River, some of you are not. If you don't have a home church, I would strongly encourage you to join us on Sunday at James River all across the region. Uh, But I've had the honor of knowing the Lindell family now for I think about a decade. Uh, I do know John, Debbie, their kids, their grandkids. I've been around, I think, before the grandkids were. And it's been amazing to see the health and life and growth of this church. And I would submit to you that James River is one of the greatest churches in the United States of America, and that the Bible teacher in the pulpit every Sunday is one of the greatest Bible teachers alive on planet Earth today. And, And Pastor John has preached through every single verse of the New Testament. He's an extraordinary leader and Bible teacher. And I literally was very, very emotional hearing him teach uh, on Romans chapter eight. And so Pastor John, I would just like to publicly honor and thank you and wondering if you all could do the same and publicly honor and thank Pastor John Lindell and the Lindell family for me. Where did he go? Is Pastor John in here? He's not here, he's in the, he got raptured, we all missed it. Oh my golly. (laughs) I thought he was off to the left. I'm at that age now where I can't see anything. Have you reached that age? For you young guys with bangs in sight, congratulations, enjoy both while you have them. All right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go ahead and pray. This will be a lot sweeter message. And uh, I love you very much. It's an honor to be with you. I see great opportunity and hope for your life and your legacy. And so I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna get to work. Father God, I thank you so very much for this opportunity to, to teach a little bit, to, to consider a little bit, to impart a little bit. 
And uh, Lord, what, what we don't need is just more information. We need impartation. Lord God, we need the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit so that we can take the things that we learn and we can cause them not to just be lip service, but lifestyle. And so Holy Spirit, it's, it's been a wonderful few days and, and God, we're all tired, we're at the very, very end. So Holy Spirit, I invite you, welcome you to, to help me to teach well and to, to help the men to have ears to hear and hearts to receive and, and lives to obey. And Lord God, I'm just jealous right now. And I pray for their wives, including the single guys that haven't picked a wife yet. I pray for the children, including the guys who have not yet held their own child in their arms, for the grandfathers and the grandbabies that'll come into these families, Lord God, and for those who are awaiting that blessed day. And Lord God, we wanna think in terms of not just having a good time. That's how men get into trouble. We wanna think in terms of having a good legacy. That's how men get out of trouble. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead our time together in Jesus' good name, amen. All right, let me start with a question. Tell me if you've heard this phrase, like father, like son. Like father, like son. We all have the same father. His name is? Jesus, Adam. There's always three answers, just so you know. Carne asada, Jesus, or Adam. Okay, those are always the three answers for all the questions. Our first father, our human father, is a man named Adam. He made some decisions for the entire family of humanity. All of us men, if we trace our genealogy all the way back, we will arrive at the first man, one man, our original father whose name is Adam. And so what I am telling you is that we all have some resemblances to our father. Like father, like sons, we're all sons of Adam. And so I wanna revisit one of the well-known sections of the Bible in Genesis 3. What's recorded in Genesis is not just what happened, but what always happens. Genesis is not just about what happened, it's about what always happens. And sometimes we can become so familiar with something that we don't pay careful attention to it. How many of you have had an occasion driving home from work that you arrived home and you didn't even remember the drive? You've made that drive so many times that it's just become something that is very rote and memorized for you. Genesis three is a section in the Bible that many people simply drive by assuming, oh, I, I know what this says. Let's, let's stop, let's pull the car over, let's take a look and see what we've missed regarding our first father. Now the serpent, this is amazing. You need to know that you have an enemy. You need to know that Satan and demons are real. You need to know that it is not just you and God, Satan and demons are also at work. If you don't understand that, you will either have self-contempt or God contempt. Is this something that I have caused or is this some way that God is abusing me? You need to consider that third variable in that category of Satan and demons. They are alive, they are well, they are real and they are at work in the world and they show up in this perfect environment. So it doesn't matter how much you labor to have your home, your life, your business, be as close to perfect in God's will as possible. At some point, a serpent will slither in and a problem will arise. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. Now to visit the story, who was created first, Adam or Eve? Adam and then Eve, and then Satan shows up and who does he speak to, Adam or Eve? Eve. 
Genesis 3 is not just what happened, it's what always happens. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The story goes on, she took its fruit and ate, and ate, and she gave some to who? Her husband, who was where? With her, and he ate. Satan shows up, Adam says and does nothing. Like father, like son. Genesis is not just what happened, it's what always happens. You men need to know that there are two kinds and categories of sin. There is commission where you do the wrong thing. There is omission where you don't do the right thing. Many men who are Christians don't understand sins of omission. Sin of omission is not leading your family spiritually, not praying with your wife, not making sure that your children have a copy of the Bible that is age appropriate for them to read, not making sure that your children are only seeing in some sort of potentially romantic way those who also know and love Jesus. What happens is many men watch things that they should be leading. They listen when they should be speaking. And what happens here, Adam's sin is not a sin of commission, it's omission. Eve's sin of commission is partaking of forbidden fruit. Adam's sin of omission is saying and doing nothing. Now don't raise your hand, especially if you're here with your dad, but how many of your dad, he didn't say or do anything? He went to work and he came home and he sat in his chair and he turned on his TV and what he would say is, I provide for my family. You provide financially, but not emotionally, not spiritually, not practically, not relationally. There's lots of sins of omission. He's not engaged, he's not involved, he's not present, he's not leading. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Before this, it said that the man and the woman were naked and felt no, Shame, now shame comes often in relation to sexuality and intimacy. Some of you men wanna know, can we do this? Can we not do that? What I would say is shame is one of God's ways of telling you that you are walking outside of his will, particularly when it comes to your intimacy and your privacy and your sexuality. So they sewed fig leaves together. This is now hiding from one another. Intimacy literally means into me see. And now you can't know me, I can't know you. The problems begin for our first family. And the man and his wife, what? They hid. What we find from men is when they are sinning, they tend to be hiding. It's your buddy who doesn't go to church anymore. It's your buddy who doesn't show up to small group anymore. It's your buddy who doesn't return your phone call, text, or email. Men are hiding. How many of you right now know a man who is withdrawn and he is hiding? You see them only when you pursue them, so you need to pursue them as God pursues Adam. If you see a woman, children coming to church without the husband, you need to know that like father, like son, he's hiding and you need to go seek him as the father seeks this son. 60% of church attenders are female, only 40% are male. 
Between 11 and 13 million more women than men are in church. Many women are coming into the presence of God and many of their husbands are home hiding. If that is you, it's time to come out of hiding and to lead your family in the purposes of God. They hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. Let me say this as well. When a man sins, he gets stupid. How many of you have noticed this? Is it possible for God to see around or through a tree? Yes or no? Yes, here's Adam. How many of you had a kid when they did a bad thing, they tried to hide from you? I had a brother, I love him with all my heart, but when he would sin, he would close his eyes and he thought it made him invisible. So we'd hear something crash in the living room. Three or four times he tried to drive my dad's car and it didn't end well. He was a little boy, he's now a drag racer. He was interning, nonetheless. If he would do something, we would go find him and he would close his eyes and he'd be really, really still because he thought he was invisible. We had to tell him, just because you can't see us doesn't mean we can't see you. Sometimes when we sin, we act like little boys. Sometimes we run and hide and we think that God can't see us. God sees and knows all. But the Lord, so here's what God does. God pursues men who are sinning. God pursues men who are hiding. God pursues men who are ashamed. If, you, if that sounds familiar to you, you need to know that today God is pursuing you. Genesis is not just what happened, it's what's always happening, like father, like son. God the Father asks a question to our first father, his son, what is the question? Where are you? This is God's question to you today. At work, where are you? In your marriage, where are you? With your children, not just your children collectively, but each of them individually, where are you? Are you present? Are you leading? The man said, what's gonna happen now? The man sinned and he's going to blame shift. Genesis is not just what happened, it's what always happens. What Adam assumes is there must be a defect with the woman. And if you preach it, okay, one guy's being honest, okay, that's a start. Some men will say, I think I married the wrong woman. Let me tell, other men will ask, how do you know you married the right woman? I'll tell you, if you married her, she's the right woman, okay? That's how you know, that's how you know. Adam sins, God shows up and he blame shifts. He says, the, the woman, God, you're great, I'm great. We were great, woman showed up. This must be the complex variable, <laughs> right? Everything has gone south since this girl showed up, right? See, you chuckle because you're single. The married guys are all weeping right now. They know this isn't funny, this is painful. The woman whom you gave me, God, you only made one. I hope this is a prototype. You know, I still seem to have some bugs in the system. I feel like a victim here. You made her, she's defective. You two, figure this out. I'll, you know, I'll be praying for you both. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Even if your wife wants to sin, you're still responsible for her sin as well as your sin. 
Let me tell you five things. Number one, this war in Genesis three, it started in heaven. Satan showed up and he tried to recruit angels to become demons in rebellion against God. And then God has a battle against Satan and demons. And Jesus says, I saw Satan cast down from heaven. So the battle now comes to earth. Let me tell you this, Satan is trying to recruit men to join his demonic army. Satan is trying to recruit men to join his demonic army. When temptation shows up, when lies are told, when deception removes that intimacy with God, you need to know that you are a soldier in the middle of a battle and that this life, my friend, it is not peacetime, it is wartime. And that, and that ultimately that recruiting of demons has now come to include the recruiting of men. And some of you know that Satan has been recruiting you. Number two, the storyline of the Bible is wedding, then war. Satan didn't even show up until Adam and Eve were married. You single guys, let me just give you a tall, cold glass of reality. A lot of you single guys are like, I'm struggling. I can't wait till I'm married and then things are better, okay? You read Genesis three, you're like, we're just gonna be naked and eat fruit and she'll never sin. Let me tell you, that day's over. That was one day, that day's over, amen? You won't even understand battle until you get a bride. Satan doesn't even show up until the honeymoon. Number three, this will be controversial because at this point, I haven't said anything controversial and I wanted to make sure I had at least one controversial point, okay? In our culture, the question is, will the man lead the family or will the woman lead the family? According to Genesis three, the question is this, will the man lead the family or will the devil lead the family? If you don't lead your family, it will have a leader. His name is Satan. He is a serpent. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you don't lead your family, he will. Number four, you can either use your energy making excuses or use your energy to make plans. Adam is confronted by God. Adam doesn't have a plan, he makes an excuse. So God makes a plan. As a man, you can waste your energy making excuses or you can invest your energy making some plans. Here's my most important point. My question to you is this, it's not a trick question. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve? When God came to hold them both accountable, who did he call for first? Adam, why? He's the head of the family. He's the head of the family. Eve sinned first and she is held accountable. Adam sinned second, but he is held firstly accountable because he is the head of the family. Now, this is a little complicated, but I want you to think biblically and categorically. 
The language of the Bible is that our relationship with God and our wife and our kids is a covenant and a covenant has a head. Here, Adam is supposed to be the covenant head of his family. I'll read it to you from Malachi 2 about your covenant relationship with God. We're gonna talk about covenant and headship. So he asked the question, Malachi 2, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the, what's the word? Covenant. Your relationship with God is a covenant. I'll explain this in a moment. It's a covenant. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning. This is marriage counseling and divorce attorneys and painful nights on the couch because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And you say, but why does he not? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by what? Covenant. Only in the Bible can you learn this. The world in its wisdom does not know God. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To understand your relationship with God, you need to understand it's a covenant. To understand your relationship with your wife, you need to understand it's a covenant. To understand your relationship with your children, you need to understand it's a covenant. Every covenant has a head. Salvation is called the new covenant and Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the head of the new covenant. And then in the family, it says that the head of every man is Christ and that the head of the woman is the man. This is what it says in Ephesians 5.23. The blank is the head. Who is that? The husband is the head. Here's what it doesn't say. It would be a good thing if the husband was the head. Here's what it doesn't say. Um, depending upon what the latest psychology and sociology dictates, it, it may be okay in certain cultural conditions for the man to potentially be the head. What, is this, what it doesn't say is, is if a guy doesn't like responsibility, he doesn't have to be the head. What it says is the husband is the head. The question is not, are you the head of your family? The question is, are you a good head or a bad head? The question is, are you doing your job or not doing your job? So the way God sets it up, the head of the new covenant is Jesus. The head of the church is Jesus. The head of every man is Christ. And then the head of the woman is supposed to be Christ and her husband. What this means is that the man is to love her like Jesus loves her, serves her like Jesus serves her, protects her like Jesus protects her. To be the head is to be like Jesus Christ to women and children. You're not the bully, you're not the boss. That's not Christian thinking, that's not biblical thinking. When we look to Jesus, we see humility, we see service, we see sacrifice, we see giving, we see generosity, we see selflessness. This is what a head looks like. So let me explain covenant. The language of the Bible uses the language of covenant frequently hundreds of times. A covenant is a loving agreement that binds people together relationally. In the Bible, the Old Testament uses a Hebrew word called hesed, means covenant love, loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyal love, devotion, commitment, loyalty, reliability. 
Let me say this, if you have a daughter and someday she wants to get married, you want a man to have a covenant heart, amen? Toward your little girl. The Jesus Storybook Bible says it this way, it is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. When it comes to the covenant and the covenant head, the principle you need to understand is this, singular headship, plural leadership. In the Trinity, the Father is the singular head, the Father, Son, and Spirit are plural leadership. In the government of home, the mom and the dad are plural leaders. That's why it says, honor your mother and your father, obey your mother and your father. You, if you are married, you and your wife are plural leadership, but you're singular headship. This is the way the world works. When a business struggles or fails, who's held responsible? The CEO or the president. When a sports team struggles, who's held responsible? The head coach or the owner, the highest authority. When a military unit struggles or fails, who's held accountable? The highest ranking officer. When a nation struggles or fails, who is held responsible? Well, it's the president or the king, depending upon the government. To be the head means you bear first and additional responsibility. First and additional responsibility. So when Adam sins, God shows up, holds him firstly responsible, and he bears additional responsibility because he is the head. So let me give you a concept here. To be a good head, you need to understand the difference between fault and responsibility. Fault and responsibility. In your family, with your wife and children, there will be things that are perhaps not your fault, right? It may be completely against what you've taught, what you've encouraged, what you've prayed for, what you've modeled. Even if it's not your fault, it's still your responsibility. When men don't take responsibility, then we need more police officers, then we need more prisons, then we need more laws, then we need more jail cells. The cultural crisis that we have is a lack of men who are loving Christ-like heads of their home, taking responsibility even for the things that are not their fault. Now, This is the essence of what we call the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the new covenant. So let me ask you this. I'll ask you a couple questions. Am I a sinner? Okay, you can even be more enthusiastic. Am I a sinner? Yes. Is any of my sin Jesus' fault? No. Did Jesus make it his responsibility? Yes. He went to the cross. He paid a price, he substituted himself, and he died for me because he is my head. It was not his fault, but he made it his responsibility. For you to be a head like Christ means even if it's not your fault, it's still your responsibility. Let me let you in on a little secret. Your children are not the children's ministry's responsibility at your church. They're your responsibility. 
Your teenagers are not the youth pastor's responsibility. They're your responsibility. Just dropping your kids off at a Christian school does not mean you have met your responsibility. They are primarily your responsibility, your responsibility. I praise God for children's workers, youth pastors, Christian schools, but ultimately a good father is the answer to most of the problems. So let me explain this. We talked about covenant and headship. Let me distinguish between what I'll call covenant and contract. And I've had the honor of teaching men for 20 some years. And in my experience, this is where almost every man fails. I want this to be really practical and helpful. Most men think in terms of contract, not covenant. Okay, I've got a little chart for you. A contract is between two people. A covenant is between three people. It includes you, maybe your wife and God. In a contract, I seek my will. How many of you negotiate contracts for a living? Your, your goal is to get more for you and less for them. In a covenant, I don't seek my will, we seek God's will. The goal in a marriage is not for a man to get his way, but for a man and a woman to find God's way. In a contract, you serve me. How many of you have people that are contractors, subcontractors, contract labor? In a covenant, we serve each other. In a contract, performance is recorded. How many of you have a contract for work and you get a performance review? In a covenant, we keep no record of wrongs because love does not keep a record of wrongs. In a contract, failure is punished. You're fired, you're demoted, it's put in your file, you lose the job or the contract. In a covenant, failure was already punished at the cross of Jesus. So I don't punish my wife, Jesus was punished for my wife. I don't punish my kids because Jesus was punished for my kids. In a contract, the goal is a win-lose. In a covenant, the goal is a worship-worship. Hear me in this, men. In a covenant, the goal is not to win, the goal is to worship. A contract is for a professional relationship. A covenant is for a personal relationship. What I'm saying is this, when you go to work, you better understand contract. When you come home, you better understand covenant. There are three kinds of men. Men who win at work and they lose at home, why? Because they understand contract and they apply it to their wife and kids. How many of you run your family like you run your company? That's how you win at work and lose at home. You make money, but you lose relationships. 
You're counting the wrong thing. The second kind of man is a man who wins at home, but loses at work. He loves his wife and kids. He's super relational and present, but when it comes to work, he loses. People take advantage of him. They don't pay him back. They rip him off. They neglect him. They use and abuse him. He can't make ends meet. The third kind of man is a man who understands covenant and contract and he wins at work because he understands contract and he wins at home because he understands covenant. Let me, let me try and make this really plain. I, by nature, am stronger at contract than covenant. How many of you men are like me? One of the dumbest things I ever said to my wife, and there's so many candidates, it's unbelievable. We were having an argument in the bathroom one night, wife and I are arguing. Here's one of the dumbest things I ever said, you ready? I looked at my wife and let me just say this, her name is Grace. If I'm fighting with Grace, it's probably my fault, amen? My initials, Mark Allen Driscoll, mad. Okay, so it's mad versus grace. I can tell you who's probably wrong, okay? So I'm, I'm arguing with grace and I looked at her and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's what, I, here's what I said to my wife. You know, if you worked for me, I would have fired you a long time ago. Let me just tell you, that's a new form of birth control right there. That's what that is. <laughs> Oh, my petite blonde wife looked at me and she said, uh, that's the problem with this relationship. I don't work for you. Well, right, like, okay. She said, I'm your wife. I'm not your employee. You're not supposed to have a job description for me and every day give me a performance review and punish me if I do a bad job and praise me if I do a good job. She said, honey, if you think like that, someday you're gonna find a, another girl who's gonna perform better for less investment. And she said, I'm not an investment, I'm a wife. Ah. Oh. That's true. How many of you have a job description for your wife? How many of you are constantly running a performance review for her and the kids? How many of you are punishing them when they don't live up to the job description that you have written for them, but that God didn't write for them? Here's what I love about my covenantal relationship with Jesus. He doesn't beat me up, he builds me up. And he picks me up. And because of his love and his grace and his devotion and his mercy, I start to change. Not so that he will love me, but because he already does and his love changes me. That's a covenant. I'll give you another example. I knew a guy, he was a loving husband, loving father. I would give him a 10 out of 10 as a husband and a dad. Loved his kids, pray for his kids, worship with his kids, kiss his kids. He, uh, 
He went all in on this home he wanted to buy and renovate for his family. He had a handshake agreement with the owner who said he was a Christian. And once he completed the project, doing all the work out of his pocket, he thought that the home would be transferred into his name. Instead, he got an eviction notice for he and his family. And the owner of the home said, uh, it's my property, you're evicted. This man literally called me up and he was frantic. He's like, I, I put all my money into this home. I, I put all my investment in this home. The, I was supposed to work on the home and renovate the home and then move my family into home and this was to be our home. And he said, now, now the man's taking the home and he's taking our entire life savings. This is gonna bankrupt my family and we're gonna be homeless. I asked him, what does the, what does the contract say? He said, Pastor Mark, I didn't have a contract. He said he was a believer. I thought I could trust him. I, I just shook his hand and looked him in the eye and I thought we were good. You need to understand contracts so you can win at work and provide for your family financially. You need to understand covenant so you can provide for your family spiritually and emotionally. I'll close with uh, one more story. Some of you may ask, what does it look like to think covenantally, not just contractually? Uh, some years ago, I've got uh, five kids, three boys, two girls, 13, 15, 17, 19, and 21. We didn't have a chart, just every other year, somebody with our last name showed up and we loved them, okay? <laughs> my three boys are here, my two daughters are with their mom on the way up to the stage. My 21-year-old daughter asked if she could borrow my Jeep to go up in the mountains. So she's filled with the spirit and having a great day. So that's a joke. Nonetheless, when the kids were little, uh, Gideon's here, he's 13. I don't think he was born yet. Calvin's here, he was really little. Zach is 19, he was a, a little guy. I was in the pool with the kids and throwing them around. And uh, at one point, it's just me in the pool with my oldest daughter, she's now 21. At the time, she's maybe eight or something like that. And I keep doing the dad thing, flip her up, flip her up, flip her up. Ah! Well, next thing you know, we're the only two in the pool. And this teenage girl comes to the pool wearing what I guess is a bikini, but there was not much there. Teenage girl. She has one boy on each arm. She jumps in the pool. One boy swims over to one corner of the pool, sort of flirtatiously looks at her. The other boy swims over to the other side of the pool, flirtatiously looks at her. She's in the middle. She's looking at one, she's looking the other. It's awkward. She swims over, totally surrounds one boy and starts kissing him very passionately. And then she swims to the other side of the pool and does the same thing to the other boy. My little girl, who's about eight at the time, swims up to me, she watched the whole thing. She says, Daddy, did you see what that girl did? She's whispering, Daddy, did you see what that girl did? I said, yes, I did, sweetheart. I said, what do you think about that? She said, it's really sad she doesn't have a better daddy. It's really sad she doesn't have a better daddy. 
That is covenantal thinking. We're in Springfield, Missouri. There's 160,000 people in Springfield, Missouri. That means about 80,000 of them are men, males, young and old. How many males are here? 8,000. You are a tithe into the world. You are a tithe into the culture. You are literally the first fruits of God. Right now, 10% of all males in Springfield, Missouri are in this room. You are literally the first fruits and a tithe of what a man can be in Springfield, Missouri. In addition, 91% of you are gonna marry. So let's say with you and your wife, that's 16,000 people. Now let's say for every man here that you have about three children, that's 24,000 children. I did the math, if each of your children marry and has three grandchildren, that's 40,000, 40,000 grandchildren. So here's what I'm saying. You men, plus our wives, plus our kids, plus our grandkids are about 130,000 people. hundred and thirty thousand people. And what I am looking at are their heads. And I'm excited for you because I know you're gonna tell them about Jesus. And I know you're gonna pray for them. And I know you're gonna lead them to church. And I know you're gonna lead them to Christ. And I know you're gonna buy them a good copy of the Bible. And I know that when you sin, you're gonna apologize and ask their forgiveness to heal up their bitterness and hurt. And I know that when they fail, you're going to forgive them and you're going to love them and you're going to bless them because that's how Jesus, your covenant head has treated you. I wanna thank you for joining us. It's an honor to be with you. You are the men of God. You are the only hope that this world and culture has and you are the only head that your family has.